you have your Bibles, want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. And before we do that, um, I just want to, uh, again, pause and go to the Lord in prayer. And one thing we also want to let you know uh, uh, this morning and this week, um, one of our families, the Flores, BJ and Melissa, had a fire at their house and uh, did considerable damage. And so we just want to keep them in our prayers. And as we hear of ways that we can help them, we'll let you know that. Uh, but um, uh, we, want to, we want to keep them in prayer during this time and, uh, and just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to be here this morning. Thank you for just the protection that you provided the Flores this week as they had a fire in their house. And Lord, we know that uh, they're leaning on, leaning on you for, for help and strength. And Lord, we pray that as their church family, we might be able to surround them and come alongside them and just provide the, uh, the support that they need in this difficult time. But we just praise you and thank you for their protection uh, this week. Uh, Lord, we just pause and, and just ask that um, as we open up your word and as churches around this state and around this country uh, this morning are opening up your word. Lord, it's our prayer that, um, that we would make much of you. Lord, that you might use your word to clearly communicate to our hearts of how you want us to live our lives. And Lord, I pray that uh, ultimately that uh, your truth would be proclaimed and you would be honored and glorified here this morning in every church around this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, judging from the weather this week, maybe we should turn to Genesis 6 and uh, talk about Noah and the flood. Uh, but uh, just wanted to, before we get into our message, say a special thank you to all the uh, the men, the women, and children, and literally it was men, women, and children who uh, spent considerable hours here Friday uh, fighting back the flood waters. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I, I left Friday night about 9 o'clock to go home, and, uh, and there were still crews coming in. And as I was going home, I, I, I was just thinking, it's amazing. Uh, we send out an email saying we need help, and all these people show up. As I'm going home, I'm thinking, you know, this is why I love my church. Because we, we let them know of a need, and they are here. And, and some were here even when their basement was taken on water, and they were here to help. And so for those of you who are here, for, uh, Dick and I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for your hours and your help. It was such, such a great encouragement to us. But we're not going to look at Genesis 6. We're, uh, we're actually going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And this morning we're going to talk about Paul's proper perspective. And as we get started this morning, I, I have a question for you. I want to show you a picture, and, and my question is simply this. What do you see? When you look at this picture, what do you see? I mean, I think there's probably only two, you know, two obvious answers. Uh, for some of us, if we look at that picture very quickly, we'd say, well, that's a rose. And then maybe some of us others look at that picture and we see, well, that's thorns. And it's interesting, Abraham Lincoln said this, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. And when you think about what he said there, it's all about a matter of 
perspective. That's what he's talking about. What's your perspective? And, and this morning we're going to talk about perspective. And we're going to look at Paul's perspective. But, you know, very simply the term perspective means a proper point of view, outlook, or attitude. And some people would say, well, as Americans, we have a certain perspective. And our perspective is this. When the going gets tough, the what? The tough get going, right? And unfortunately, that maybe has two meanings today. Originally, when someone said that, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, that means that, hey, when difficulty comes, what happens? We dig in. We dig in. We face that difficulty head on. Unfortunately, today, I think in America, it's taken on another meaning, that when challenging circumstances arise, uh, maybe we give up and run and, uh, and just turn the other way. But, you know, when I think about Paul, and as I was reading about his life this week, I think Paul has the perspective when the going gets tough, the tough get going, giving and living the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you were here last week, Pastor Dick kind of set the scene for Philippians, and he was talking about the Apostle Paul, and he said, you know what, Paul's calling was to share the gospel and to glorify God. That was the driving force of his life. That's what got him up in the morning. And, and, and so we see that in Paul's life, and, and, and Dick told us last week that Paul's writing the book of uh, Philippians to the, to the church in Philippi that he founded with Lydia, and the demon-possessed girl that got saved, and the Philippian jailer and, and his household that got saved. And that's how the church started. And that ragtag bunch of, of individuals, the church started there. And, and Paul's now in Rome writing to them to thank them for their gift and inform them about, their situa- about his situation in Rome. And so, and so Paul is in Rome, and he's writing to his church that he, in Philippi that he loves and cares for. His pastor's heart comes out. And as I was thinking about this, I think that, you know, for us to really understand and get the, uh, to, to, to really understand the full weight of Paul's words that, he stay, that he's saying here in chapter 1, we need to ask ourselves, what has happened to Paul? We know that he's in Rome, but, you know, how did he get there? And in Philippians 1, verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. And so I think we need to look at Paul's circumstances, uh, the circumstances that brought him to Rome, and how did Paul travel to Rome? Now we know in, in the back of our Bibles, we have these little maps, and here's a map that maybe is, is similar to something that uh, you have in the back of your, uh, your Bible, but it's, it's Paul's voyage to Rome, right? And uh, I can remember a number of years ago, my, my grandparents were getting ready to go on a Mediterranean cruise and to stop at all the different places that Paul had been to, and, and they were going on this amazing ship that uh, was built to look like one of those old ships that had three masks and that, that had sails, and, and yet it had engines too if it wasn't windy, and, and they were so excited to go on this trip and, and, and to, to cruise the Mediterranean. And sometimes we look at this and we think, well, Paul was just on a Mediterranean cruise, And if we read Acts 21 to 28, we know that this was not just another holiday for Paul. And I think it's important for us to understand where Paul's come from and how he got 
to Rome. In Acts 21, uh, Paul came back to the church in Jerusalem and to the elders, and he was reporting to them all the, all the great ministry that he has done with the Gentiles and how God had worked in the hearts of the Gentiles. And we know that the Jewish rel- religious leaders were very upset when they heard about Paul and his preaching to the Gentiles, that he was preaching Christ and he was not sharing the Jewish traditions. He's not sharing that, you know, Christ and you need to be circumcised and you need to do this and you need to do this. And they were very upset with him. And they started a riot, and they seized Paul, and they tried to, to kill him. And this, uh, the word of this uproar made its way to the commander of the Roman troops in Jerusalem, and they quickly stepped in to arrest Paul. So Paul was just coming back to give a report, and now he's arrested. The Roman commander ordered that Paul be flogged and interrogated to find out why did all these Jews hate him and wanted him dead. Paul reveals that he is a Roman citizen, and he asks the, uh, the Roman troops, is it legal to flog a Roman citizen that hasn't been officially charged with any crime? Knowing that it's not legal to do that. So the next day, the Roman commander ordered all the chief priests and the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble, and they brought Paul before them so they could find out exactly what the Jews accused him of. And there in that kangaroo court, the Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed over Paul's innocence, and he found himself in the middle of another uproar, and the troops stepped in again and took Paul back to the barracks. And this angered the Jews, and so they plotted to kill Paul. And Paul's sister's son learned of their plan to kill Paul, and so he reported it to the Roman commander. So by now, I think the Romans are thinking, man, this guy, Paul, he is he's like dynamite, I mean, you know, we're around him and trouble just follows him. And because of this plot, Paul was transferred to Caesarea under guard of about 500 soldiers to Governor Felix to stand trial before him. So Paul stood trial before Felix and he declared his innocence that he was not arguing or stirring up a crowd. And Felix didn't find him guilty, but he left him in prison for two years as a favor to the Jews. But as he was in prison for those two years, Felix sent for him regularly so he could talk with Paul and listen to him talk about his faith in Jesus Christ. We know that Governor Festus took over for Felix when he, and when Festus visited Jerusalem, the Jewish religious leaders presented their trumped up charges against Paul to Festus and asked him to transfer uh, him to transfer Paul to Jerusalem so they could ambush and kill Paul. Not so he could stand trial, they just wanted to get rid of him. Festus instead invited the Jewish leaders to come to Caesarea and convene the court and try Paul. And they presented many serious charges against Paul that they couldn't prove. Paul declared that he had done nothing wrong against the Jewish law, against the temple, or even against Caesar. Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor and asked if Paul was willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there, but fearing for his life, knowing that if he would do that, they were going to try to kill him, he appealed uh, to Caesar. He, He was a Roman citizen, and he asked if he could be tried before Caesar. So now Festus confers with King Agrippa about Paul because he's now sending Paul, this this, uh, criminal, to to Caesar, and he has no charges against Paul. 
He has no real legitimate charges, and he knows that I can't send Paul to Caesar without any legitimate charges. So, so Agrippa tells Festus that Paul, uh, to, to bring Paul before him, and they talk, and Paul shares the gospel with Agrippa, but he's not persuaded. But in that discourse, and as Paul talks to him about what has happened to him, um, Agrippa realizes that Paul is innocent, and he doesn't deserve death and imprisonment. As a matter of fact, Agrippa tells Festus that, you know what, Paul could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. He was innocent. He didn't deserve death. He didn't deserve to be in jail. But Festus puts Paul on a ship sailing for Rome. And it's tough sailing because the wind's against them. It's not an easy, luxurious cruise that... uh, that we think of maybe sailing on the Mediterranean. They lost a lot of time on the difficult sea, and the, and the sailing was becoming more and more dangerous because winter was coming. And Paul warned them that, you know, to continue would be disastrous. You're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose the cargo, and you might lose some lives. But the Roman, the Roman centurion followed the advice of the pilot and the ship owner, and they continued on. And we know that the ship was caught in, in a great northeaster. And the crew panicked, and they threw the cargo overboard, and after three days of fighting this storm, they, they gave up all hope of being saved. And this is where the innocent Paul is at this point, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, going to Rome to stand trial for something that he didn't do in the middle of the storm. They had lost all hope, and now Paul speaks up, and he basically says, you know what, I told you so. I told you we shouldn't have gone. I told you it was dangerous, but don't worry because last night an angel appeared to me and he said that no lives would be lost, only the ship. The angel told him not to be afraid because Paul needed to stand trial before Caesar and God would graciously protect the lives of everyone sailing with him. And we know the storm caused the ship to run aground and the ship broke apart. But all 276 people aboard the ship survived. And the crew made their way ashore to to the island of Malta, and the islanders welcomed them there and showed them kindness. And as they made their way ashore, they built a big fire to keep warm and dry off. And and we know that a viper came out of the wood and it bit Paul in in the hand. And everyone said, you know, he he survived the sea only to be killed by the viper. But he suffered no ill effects, and the islanders thought that he was a god. And Publius, the chief officer of the island, hosted them for three days at his house. And while Paul was there, he knew that Publius's father was sick, and he prayed for him, and God healed him. And when the island found out what had Paul had done, they brought all of their sick to him, and he ministered to them and healed them. And after wintering three months on the island of Malta, Paul set sail for Rome. And when Paul arrived, he was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And in Acts 28, 14 and 15, it says this, And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. After all of those experiences... I would have been exhausted. And Paul was encouraged. Paul went through some very, very difficult circumstances. In spite of all of those challenging circumstances, we never read once that Paul complained. He never once 
complained. And as I was thinking about his circumstances, I was trying to think of what was Paul's perspective? What was his point of view as he faced difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance? And I think this was his perspective. Challenging circumstances offer new opportunities to minister. Let's think about it. Paul, who was innocent, he was arrested. He went to Felix. And while he was with Felix, Governor Felix, what did he have an opportunity to do? To talk with him and share the gospel. And then Governor Festus took over for Felix, and he brought King Agrippa to talk with them. And they both got to hear Paul share the gospel and, and, and hear him talk about his Jesus. And then they sent him on, on a ship and set sail with 276 other people. And I can imagine in the middle of the ocean, there was nowhere to go. Paul's like, I got a, I got a captive audience. And he was, had an opportunity to share with them and minister to them. You see, Paul's perspective was challenging circumstances offer new opportunities to minister. Would that be our perspective in that situation? It wouldn't be mine. I mean, my perspective would be, Lord, get me out of here. Get me out of here. But somehow, Paul, this amazing man of faith, says, you know what, God? I'm here for a reason. It's an opportunity. What an amazing, amazing perspective in the midst of Paul's circumstances. But I think we also need to next look at Paul's chains. We need to ask ourselves, how did Paul live in Rome? And in Acts 28, 16 to 20, it goes on and says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and hand over, handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Paul was in Italy, and he wasn't on a little vacation villa. He was in chains. And here's a picture of something that uh, probably that, that Paul was every day, 24 hours, he was in these chains. And, and, you know, I can imagine that they were pretty heavy chains. And no matter what he did, wherever he moved, he heard the clinking of the, the shackles. And that reminded him, you know, well, you know what? I can't go outside. I am confined to this space. I'm confined to this soldier no matter where I go. He wasn't on vacation in Rome. It was a difficult circumstance. He had no privacy of his own. And he tells, the, now he's allowed to have visitors, and the visitors come to him, uh, the, the, the Jewish Christians of, of Rome, and, uh, and, and they come to him, and he says to them, Basically, you know what? I am under house arrest because of the hope of Israel. I'm under house arrest because I believe Jesus is the resurrected Messiah, and I've told everybody that I know about this Jesus, and that he's going to return one day and set up his kingdom. And because of this, the Jews hated me, and they put me under house arrest. That's the only reason I'm here. And so if that was you, if that was me, I would be pretty upset. I would be pretty bitter. But that wasn't Paul. 
As a matter of fact, as he was under house arrest, as he was in those chains, he had a huge impact in spite of his imprisonment. In Philippians 1.13, it says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And here Paul is in this, this house chained to Roman guards, and, and he turns a negative into a positive. The gospel advances among the, the palace guard. Uh, the praetorian or the palace guard consisted of 9,000 hand-picked soldiers. They were the best of the best. They got double pay. They had pensions, and they had very special responsibilities. They, they got to guard the emperor. They got to guard the palace, and they got to guard imperial prisoners, and that was Paul. He was one of the imperial, imperial prisoners. And, and so he was chained to one of these soldiers every day, hour after hour. There was never a time that he wasn't chained to a soldier. Confined to living quarters, which he had to cover the rent for. I mean, it's, it's not only is he in prison, but he has to pay for his imprisonment. Uh, talk about a, a downer of a vacation. Uh, you know, we get, ex- we get disappointed when we go uh, on vacation and the weather is bad. And we say, well, I had to pay for this week and the weather didn't cooperate. Paul has to pay for his own imprisonment. And he is chained to a soldier day after day. And so Paul was chained to numerous of these 9,000 guards, and they took turns guarding him in four-hour shifts. And as soldier after soldier was chained to him in successive watches, they had the opportunity to hear the gospel both directly from Paul and indirectly as the visitors came to talk with Paul. And and he talked about his ministry, and he talked about how the gospel had, had transformed people's lives. And with each changing guard, I can only imagine Paul there silently praying, thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to share Jesus with another person. I I just picture him sitting there praying that. And ironically, Paul's imprisonment freed him to bring the gospel to the very heart of the secular power in Rome. Paul had an opportunity that he may have never had because he was in, because he was in prison. He got to, to, to rub shoulders with people that he may never have met. Important people in the Roman government. And not only was the gospel part of Paul's conversation with the guards he was chained to while he was under house arrest, but it was probably a topic of conversation of the guards when they went back to the barracks or while they performed their responsibilities at the emperor's palace. I can imagine them saying, hey, have you had a chance to guard this Paul guy? I mean, he is in chains. Uh, He is in prison. 24 hours a day, there is no hope for him. You know, he, he doesn't get a break, and yet he is not discouraged. This guy is so full of joy. And he says the reason he has this joy is because this Jesus guy. Do you know anything about this? I can imagine that these conversations are springing up uh, with each other because they've watched Paul's character and they watched how he lived his life and what he said matched up with how he lived his life. And we know that because of Paul's faithfulness, some trusted Jesus as their Savior. In the end of Philippians, in in chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, Paul says, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, Uh, send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You see, Paul had an impact. 
his testimony had an impact to those guards and those people in Caesar's household. And they, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we see Paul's imprisonment impacted the palace guard, but you know what? It also impacted the Roman Christians. Because we see the Roman Christians advance the gospel in Rome in, in verse 14 of chapter 1. Paul says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul's persecution and imprisonment empowered the Roman Christians to powerfully proclaim the gospel. The Roman Christians watched how Paul lived his life, and they saw his attitude, and they saw his joy, and that encouraged them to do the same and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The picture of Paul shackled as a criminal for sharing the gospel of grace for some strange reason led people to imitate the same behavior that got him arrested. Think about that. Uh, The thing that got him arrested sharing the gospel that's what he encouraged the other, the other Christians in Rome to do. In essence, they were putting their life on the line too. And we know that persecution has regularly led to the passionate advance, not the fearful withdrawal of the gospel. And this week I, I read this. It says, one of the reasons why governments inflict strict punishment on lawbreakers is to, is to deter others from following in their footsteps. Heavy sentences and harsh treatment in custody are intended to communicate that criminal behavior has unpleasant consequences, causing sensible people to not imitate the conduct that got others arrested. I mean, that's, that's, why, we, that, that's why we have our, our, our criminal system, uh, to, to arrest people so that other people don't imitate that, that so they realize that there's consequences and in my humanist, I don't understand why the Roman church just didn't go underground. I don't, I don't just understand why that, hey, well, Paul got arrested for sharing the gospel, so we're in danger too, so let's just go underground. After all, Emperor Nero was, was starting to, to, uh, to persecute them and, and seeing them as a threat. But Paul's imprisonment led to a renewed commitment to courageously proclaim the gospel without fear. And here's the amazing thing. It just didn't impact a few people. In verse 14, it says that, but most of the brothers and sisters confidently shared Christ. Paul became kind of like their rallying cry. And they saw him live out his life and faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ. And a majority of the Roman Christians said, you know what, if he can do it, we can do it too. No matter what the cost. So they shared the gospel. In essence, Paul's captivity is setting people free from fear to put their life on the line to share the message of Christ. And as I was thinking about Paul and his perspective, and as I was reading verses 13 to 14, I I couldn't help but think of this. You know what? Courage is is contagious. Courage is contagious. A prison stay produced passionate proclamations of the gospel. And it's so true. Courage isn't contagious. You know, if, if there's one person that will take a stand, if we see that and we know that the stand that they're taking is right, that emboldens us. That gives us courage to say, you know what? He is right, and I believe that, and I want to stand with them. And that's what happened here 
with the Roman Christians. They saw Paul, and they knew that he was, he was sharing the, the, the gospel, and, and he, what he was doing was right. And they said, you know what? I want to do the same thing. I want to do the same thing. And so we talked about his circumstances, and we, we, t- we talked about how he got to Rome. We talked about his chains and how he lived in Rome. Now let's talk about his critics. Let's talk about his critics and how he was received in Rome. It goes on in Philippians 1, 15 to 18, and it says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me when I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. How was Paul received in Rome? Well, in verse 14, we see that most loved him. And we just talked about how Paul's example encouraged most of the believers to follow his example and share the gospel boldly. And we know that their preaching was motivated by goodwill, a desire to do what's best for others. Their preaching was motivated by love, a love for Paul, a love for God, and a love for others to know the gospel. And they knew that Paul was put there for the defense of the gospel. Jesus declared at Paul's conversion that he was going to carry Christ's name to the Gentiles, to, to kings, and, and to, the, uh, to the people of Israel. So, so they knew that Paul was put there for the specific, pur- specific purpose to defend the gospel and share the gospel. His imprisonment in Rome was neither an accident of fate nor a decision of man, but part of his divine assignment to defend the gospel. And so uh, the, 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 most of the Christians there knew that, and, and they loved Paul, and they supported him, and they followed his example, and, and they boldly shared the gospel. But not everybody loved him. Some loathed him. Some loathed him. In verse 15, we see a minority of the Roman Christians were critical of Paul. We see their message was right, but their motives were totally wrong. Their preaching was motivated by envy, a desire for others to not have what they had, which is closely related to jealousy, a desire to have what others have. In essence, they were jealous of Paul. They were envious of Paul and all of his popularity and, and all the attention that he was getting. And, and they're like, wait a minute, he's getting all the attention and we're not getting any of the attention. Their preaching was also motivated by rivalry, which refers to contention or competition and conflict. And it's sad when in the world of Christianity that Christians compete with other Christians because it's really not about us and it's not about our name and it's not about who follows us or who likes us or, 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 or how many people come to hear us. It's all about Christ. It's about his name and his fame. But they were jealous and this caused this rivalry. Uh, their preaching was motivated by selfish ambition and looking out for one's own interest at the expense of others. In essence, these few considered Paul to be a threat to their own prominence and influence in the church at Rome. And as, that, as if Paul had not had a hard enough time, these fellow believers were trying to, ca- to stir up trouble for Paul. Think about this. 
here's this guy that has just, uh, just went through all of these circumstances and, and he's chained and now these critics are trying to pile on him. They're trying to make his life worse. How ridiculous is that? And they call themselves Christians. But this is what Paul is facing. And you might say, well, why didn't Paul rebuke them? Well, you know, we see other, other places through in Paul's writing that he's, he's come alongside and, and rebuked the Judaizers and, and those. And in and, and all those cases, he rebuked the others because their message was wrong. They were adding to the gospel. But here Paul says, you know what? They are sharing the true message. They're sharing, sharing the gospel. But, but their motives were wrong. And as Paul was taking shot after shot from these fellow Christians, I can imagine it hurt. I mean, think about it. Critics from within are more painful than critics from without. After all, these are part of the family of God, and now my family members are starting to take shots at me. I can imagine that those were hurtful things for Paul. And if that was me, and if I was in that situation, I would be working on a great comeback, wouldn't you? I'd be like, oh yeah, well you said this about me, well, I'm going to let you have it. But let's look at Paul's comeback to his critics, and, and we see that in verse 18. And he basically says this, what does it matter? The message is being scattered. What does it matter? The message is being scattered. In essence, Paul is saying, so what? And we're like, say what, Paul? What did you just say? These people have just attacked you and falsely and they're trying to pile on you and you say, so what? And Paul says, you know what? They are preaching the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ and because of that, I will rejoice. They are sharing the true message of Jesus. Their motives may be wrong, but the message is right and I'm gonna rejoice. I'm excited about that. I am in chains. I can't go anywhere. They aren't. And so they're sharing the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, it's fine with me. I'm all right with that. Matter of fact, I'm excited about that. And you know what? I think Paul's excited about that because he knows God's word has a powerful effect on human hearts. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Paul knew that God's word impacts the hearts of men in powerful ways, and he's just excited that the word of God is being shared. Paul also knew that God's, uh, that, that God's honors his word, and his word always bears fruit. Isaiah fifty-five eleven, God says, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. See, Paul understood that. Paul understood that God's word is powerful and that it doesn't come back empty. So he's like, praise God, God's word is being shared with people that I can't get to. And so his perspective here is clearly this. Hey, let's celebrate when Christ is clearly communicated because it's all about him and it really doesn't matter about me. They can say whatever they want about me. They just better clearly communicate Jesus and the gospel. So that's all the things that happened to Paul. And I think it's important for us to understand that, uh, what has happened to Paul. And it leads us to ask one final question. Why did God allow it to happen? 
We just went through all these great things that, uh, and terrible things that Paul went through. Why did he allow it to happen? And we've got to go back to verse 12, where Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here we see Paul's concentration. Paul's concentration was all about advancing the gospel. Paul's focus was not on his challenging circumstances, but communicating the gospel. And he starts off in verse 12, and he says, now I want you to know. And this is a common uh, Greek expression that would be similar to us saying, hey, what? Don't miss this point. This is very important. This is key for you to understand. And it's key for us to understand that his focus wasn't on his hardships, but on his opportunities. It was on the advancement of the gospel, and and the preaching of Christ was his life's focus and passion. And in the midst of those challenging circumstances, he celebrated and rejoiced because the gospel was being communicated. Isn't that amazing? See, Paul understood why why he went through all of those things and all of those things that, you know, unfairly he was arrested, and so he had to go through all of those things. And he's sitting there in Rome after, after you know, trial after trial and, and being in jail for a long period of time and a shipwreck. And, and, and he's sitting all those things and he says, you know what? God brought me all through all of these things so the gospel could advance here in Rome. And I'm like, who is this guy? Because if that was me, I'd be complaining. I'd be like, God, have you forgotten me? God, why, you know, I've been faithful to you. Why have you turned your back on me? But Paul is like, you know what? Every circumstance, every challenge is an opportunity. And I had lots of opportunities to share the gospel. The gospel has advanced in places that I I could probably never go. A few weeks ago, I had lunch with a with a young man who was facing some challenging circumstances and some decisions that he had to make. And, and so I just wanted to catch up with him and just talk with him a little bit and just try to encourage him and, and see how he was doing. And so he was sharing some of the difficulties that, that he was facing. And, and at one point I found myself and I said, you know what, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you had to go through these difficult circumstances. And he looked at me in the eye and the next thing he said to me, I'll never forget. And he said to me, PJ, God doesn't make mistakes. I was sitting there and I was just blown away. And I was like, you know what? I think that's what Paul realized here. In the midst of his circumstances and his chains and the critics, Paul said, God doesn't make mistakes. He is in control. His plan is greater than my plan. And so as we close this morning, I think we need to ask ourselves, some personal questions. The first one is this. When we face challenges in life, are we quick to complain or to consider that God is in control? When we face those challenges, are we quick to complain and, and, and you know, woe is me? Are we quick to claim the promise that God is in control? He'll never leave us or forsake us. He'll go, he'll, he'll go through it with us that he knows what's best for us? The second question is, are we like Paul? Recognizing every circumstance is a chance to share by words and actions 
our faith in Christ. I don't know about you, but I wrestled with these questions this week. Because if I'm honest, I can't answer these questions like Paul did. I can't. In my humanness, I'm quick to complain. In my humanness, I'm quick to, fo- to focus on those challenging circumstances and not the opportunities that God brings my way in the midst of those circumstances. You see, in spite of Paul's circumstances, his chains, and his critics, he never complained but welcomed the chance to communicate about Christ. And if we want to really have Paul's perspective, Paul's proper perspective, this is the perspective that we need to have. God can use the most challenging circumstances for our good, for the gospel, and for his glory. And let me tell you, that's easy to say, and it's a lot harder to live. But when I look at Paul's life, he lived it. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect, but that was his perspective on life. The most challenging circumstances can be used for our good, for the gospel, and for God's glory. You know what? Some of us have faced challenging circumstances this week. We've we shared about some of them. And who knows what this coming week holds, but some, maybe for some of us, it's going to be some challenging circumstances. And are we going to have Paul's perspective? Are we going to have the, the human perspective that, you know what, when difficult things come, we're just going to complain? Uh, we're going to cry out to God and, and complain to him that he's forgotten us? Or are we going to trust him and say, okay, God, you're in control. No matter the circumstance I'm facing, it's for my good, it's for the gospel, and for your glory. Help me to believe that, help me to see it, and help me to live it. That needs to be our prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to look into your word. Thank you for the life of Paul and just the the great example that he is to us. And Lord, as we read these words and look at all the things that you've taken him through, it's it's mind-boggling to think that in spite of all those circumstances and his chains and his critics, his faith in Christ was so strong that his focus was to communicate you to those he came in contact with. And understanding that even in those difficult circumstances, He had contact with people that he might have never had contact with before. Lord, forgive us when Paul's perspective isn't our perspective. When we face those difficult circumstances and we just complain. We just complain, we just give up, we just throw our hands up and maybe even run away from you. But Lord, help us to have Paul's perspective. Help us to realize that no matter what we're going to face this week, You will go with us and it'll be for our good, for the opportunity for us to share the gospel and for your glory. Lord, give us the strength to not only see life like that, but to live life like that. In Jesus' name, amen.